0: I'm going there to do the podcast I'm going there to hit record I am sitting next to Shahid down and my name is Matthew Crowe.
1: Well, my intro is not going to be as cool as that. <laughs> <laughs> hi,
0: hi, everyone! What's up, internet? Hey, we're here. Sorry, I just had that thought in the shower two days ago, and I'm like, no, we're doing it for the only podcast about movies, specifically the film 1970!
1: Whoa! I, uh, you and, want quotes? Uh, I mean, no. I, <laughs> I I'm speechless. <laughs> I'm haunted <laughs> like the men on the trenches. Uh, I, am, uh, I am silenced by the beauty of, uh, of your song. Listen, you sometimes... are like a gentle songbird that has uh, fluttered into my life oh, well, and into you. my heart.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you just run into an impromptu concert uh, <laughs> in the middle of a war zone. In the
1: middle of a war zone, nobody notices you there. No, we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, other other uh, people's hearts, whom you have fluttered into, have written us in this week. So we're gonna write. Uh, we're gonna read out some emails before we dive into Sam Mindy's. Uh, I I would say at this point, Oscar frontrunner. runner. Mindy's or Mendez? Mindy's. Mendez. Mindenendez. Menden. <laughs> Mend- Mendelson. Mindy- uh, Aaron Hernandez. N- Sam. Sam Menendez. No. Mr. Anderson. Is, are you watching any true crime docs on uh, on Netflix right now? No,
0: actually. Is, are there some that I should be?
1: Uh, I I just watched and I. I binged. Uh, Don't fuck with cats. Oh, it, I've heard it, such good things about that. It 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 it's just imminently watchable. Yeah, imminently watchable. Um, and the Aaron Hernandez story is on as well, apparently. And I think uh, I just you know I just enjoy true. I enjoy me some true crime. The
0: only true crime doc that I've been watching on Netflix lately is The Witcher. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm tossing... Is that, is, that, is that worth it? I'm tossing a coin left and right to my Witcher. So okay, <laughs> no. Well, <laughs> yes. This is a question. You need to take your New Zealand. Bias away. Okay. okay. This well, what is, it no, because to... just hear me out. Okay. This is the question, and then this will determine whether or not you should watch Witcher or not. Okay. Did you enjoy Hercules and Xena, the television
1: shows? <laughs> I, you know, I never watched them. Really? I never did. Because, he, because
0: Witcher, The Witcher is a, a slightly more serious, much higher budget, but exact tone. To the, like, would that take away some of the comedy. So it's kind of, com- oh, okay. What, but, like, <laughs> it wasn't
1: the comedy the thing?
0: It's not funny. No, no, like, it's just like, it's over the top fantasy.
1: Right so I recall Hercules and Xena sort of feeling like um serialized Ray Harryhausen kind sort of
0: like the, the, so there's a little bit of like a slapstick sort of thing to Hercules and Xena I, I
1: mean like you know like uh, Jason and the Argonauts you know yes. like that sort of but Sinbad. in like, the-,
0: the first season of Hercules and the first season of Xena is what I equate the tone of Witcher to Now granted it's basically like rated R he says fuck a lot right. like uh and there's there's some nudity and, uh, I mean, you get Henry Cavill yeah, well, in, a, in a bathtub, so that's good.
1: Isn't he weird? Uh, Like, for some reason, the gif I keep seeing is him in leather pants.
0: I mean, he's always in leather. I mean, he's either he's either naked in a bathtub, <sighs> naked in a bed, or in, like, leather pants.
1: I mean, that what's amazing about Henry Cavill's face, if we could just sidetrack for a minute here. Sure. Is the way it changes depending on... Like he's got this sort of perfectly sculpted face, and if you put a mustache on it, it's an entirely different vibe. Yep. You put blonde hair on it, it's an entirely different vibe. White hair. You, uh, and then if you put like the Superman hair, you know, it's an entirely different vibe. That's it's. So I'm still waiting for the Henry Cavill uh, as Archer show. That's that's what I want in life. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know I needed a Witcher thing, and I know the internet's in love with him now because he's a gamer. Like, he is
0: a gamer, and he's he. What I do like about Henry Cavill is uh, I, I think it's weird when when you reveal when you reveal yourself to be a gamer and you're a famous celebrity, mm-hmm. uh, then that becomes a little bit too much, and I can imagine that that's like going to get annoying for him because, but maybe not. He mm-hmm. basically uh, he has a lot of great. They're like, oh, what did you play Witcher on? Like PlayStation, Xbox is like, nah,
1: PC. Come on, like, yeah.
0: and, and, and then he talks about like the different PC games that he actually plays, which is which
1: is really nice to hear. Isn't the famous story that he missed out on some audition because he was playing World of Warcraft? Yeah. Yeah, 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 it was like yeah, like in a raid or something like yeah, that. I yeah. think it might have been Superman, like the first time around. <laughs> no, I mean that would have been.
0: I mean, I guess. I mean, no, World he of was he aud- still
1: going and popular? He was auditioning for Superman a few times because remember he wasn't like always bah, beefy Superman. He was like this little scorny dude. Yeah, uh, and then you know, Superman had many iterations. that were, I think, I think he auditioned maybe around the George Miller Superman that was going to oh, happen, really? the Justice League one um and his name, he might have he might have been too young for the superman I don't know. version anyway
0: he, he's a deli- I think he's uh, the perfect uh, Geralt of rivia right. and uh yeah i don't know anyway watch it <laughs> if you're into that vibe i'd say watch <laughs> it but otherwise okay
1: no. uh again fluttering into the hearts and minds of uh, some of our listeners we've got a couple of really nice emails that i wanted to say uh, that I wanted to read out we do have a couple more email um emails about uncut james which we will read out Maybe in a week's time, or maybe after the Oscars, just enough time for so that move because they're very spoilerific. Yes. Um, so thank you for everyone who's emailed us in about Uncut Gems. And the-
0: we- and at the, sorry, at the end of this episode, yep. we'll do our 1917.
1: Yeah, email. we've got an email about yeah. 1917, which I knew was being hustled to get to us in time, so we definitely will read that. Um, but first, this is from Andre in uh, Brazil. Just discovered your podcast after watching Little Women, and I'm already hooked. I've been listening to a lot of episodes, and it's been great fun getting new insights into movies I've watched and cinema in general. In general. General? General. <laughs> you got it! <laughs> so thanks, and keep up the good work. Already recommending it to all of my friends. Uh, Andre,
0: thank you so much. The, and, and that's,
1: look. Andre, I love you 3,000. This is,
0: and it's, made an Avengers reference for you, Andre. I
1: also made a hip hop reference. Yeah, but th- that's more uh, that's
0: more on your brand than an Avengers reference. That's yeah. like it's like I just I, saw it was,
1: it was multi layers to it. Andre, three thousand. I
0: know, I, but I don't care. I, <laughs> look, I, yes, yay! It was clever. I understand, but I would just I'm moved. Andre, you got you got you you. She heart. Shahir's MCU heart grew three sizes this day. Uh, thank you so much, and thank you for uh, actively doing a uh, request, the, the call to action. We uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, we said honestly, you know, you're leaving us reviews and everything. That's super wonderful. And and we really appreciate all the stars you can spare. Just telling your friends if you're digging the show and and writing in uh, telling us about it that's that's lovely. Uh, we also have an email from Kiona. Uh, who says, I'm rec- I recently discovered this podcast, and I'm freaking obsessed. Uh, I was wondering if you guys can do older movies as well in addition to the latest box office releases, from Casablanca to Sound of Music right down to Social Network. There's so much, and I really hope that you guys do this once again. Such a huge fan. Aww. And that's super nice as well. I I... I, I love, would love to do for, the classics. I would too. For, but, but I want to talk about the the. Let's let's talk about how great we are, real quick.
1: Oh, um, because okay, hold on, uh, let me just sit.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sit <laughs> I'm just. No, and this is actually. I'm gonna. I'm gonna drop you, my pretensions. Shut Is there up. a single no, tear? No, because like just. Something that actually is really moving me about these two emails, and I, I don't want to get sappy at all, but, like, we do this for fun, and we've we've grown a, a, a nice community of people that listen to us and, and email us and talk with us on Twitter and all that jazz. But, like, to have a couple new folks use words like I'm already hooked mm. and uh, I'm freaking obsessed, which I know is – I don't know. They could be vernacular or whatever, but it makes, I don't know, it makes me feel very good. So thank you very
1: much to uh, to both of you writing it. It warmed the cockles of Matthew's heart. Uh,
0: if, if there is a heart there, mm-hmm. they are warmed. Uh, classics. <clears throat>
1: uh, yeah, I mean, I think we should do... Like, I would have loved to have done all uh, all over the Western Front, um, all across the Western Front for this uh, for this episode. Sure. I think that would have been a really good tie-in to, to look at that film.
0: I agree. Also, I mean, things like, um, and I'm not a fan of Westerns, I've said that before, but the one Western that I really have always connected with for whatever reason is the original High Noon. Okay, uh, like that's something I'd love to talk about because I'm I'm fascinated. It, all across
1: the Western Front is a World War One.
0: I, I understand. Uh, yeah. No, no, I'm saying I'm I'm not tying it to 1917. Okay. I'm just talking about a classic. I'd like to do here. Okay, okay. I right. can't. They can't all be I love you, Andre three thousand references. Sometimes well, we just have to have a small little tangent.
1: My 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 references are you know connected. <laughs> anyway, connected. thank you for the lovely all words. quiet on the Western Front. What else? I was like, I was like sitting there going all across. No, it's all something on the Western Front. You did it. You fixed <laughs> your mistake. I yeah. was so angry that I didn't notice. Um, but yeah, if
0: you. You want to email us in OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com uh, or tweet at us at OnlyMoviePod.
1: And so this week we are covering Sam Mindy's... Uh, uh, <laughs> it has to be Mendez, right? Sam Menendez. I'm going to call him Menindez. It's not. Uh, no, it is Mindy's. I think it's Mindy's. Okay. Yeah. Um, Sam Mindy's uh, hotly... Uh, favorited Oscar nominee, nominee, which has just recently won the Producers Guild uh, Award, which uh, I think, I believe the statistic is 20 of the last 30 winners of that prize have gone on to win Best Picture. Mm -hmm. Um, Also um, win, uh, won the Golden Globe Award. Um, So it is uh, emerging, uh, although a late uh, release uh, for 2019, um, emerging as the Oscar front. One of the most curious things about it, I believe, was that it was nominated for a Golden Globe Globe for best picture before it had had it actually been released? Really, um, well, that's
0: sort of my question. In the eternal game, in the, in the in the unfair board game that is the Oscars, right? Um, what is the smartest time? Let's not even talk about film quality, right? I wonder if there's some statistics. Email us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Um of of w- like best picture Oscar winners, their release dates. And if they line up a certain way, like if it's perfect to release it in October or November, right? Like, or like something like, cause it's, it's fresh enough in the Academy's mind because if you do something back in like, you know no, no, January it's, February
1: it's happened before i think silence of the lambs for example was in, was released in a fibu- in february okay. and managed to sustain so i think i think in a way that's a that's a bigger uh, achievement if your film can kind of sustain the cultural zeitgeist over a long period of time. i, I believe get out um yeah get out was an early release um that is as true. well so so the, while, while the um, the gamification of this, which is this, you should release closer to the Oscar period, uh, you know, to the Oscar nomination period, uh, which would kind of make it more prevalent in the mind of voters. Uh, I think if your movie can be released early and sustain it, and it's great. That is a real. Uh, testament to the power of your film. And, I wonder you know, if The Sons of the Lambs is kind of a great example of yeah,
0: that. Yeah, I, w- I mean, that you know that could be also a cultural thing even outside of outside of the Oscars as well. Yeah. Um, even though we're using that as a yardstick, why? Because it's shiny and it's the only thing we have currently other than the nine other award shows we watch. Uh,
1: and I asked this on Twitter um, and I think this is going to happen, is although there were other films I wanted to get in before our 2019 Best Of year, we're going to have to put that two aside for a couple of weeks because we want to get in for the Oscars, for all the the clickbait we can get, um, and that means uh, as as uh, is tradition uh, as of last year, we will review every single Best Picture nominee. The only one that we have left to do will be Ford versus Ferrari, which appears on VOD next week, just in time for us to be able to uh, to review it. Just in time for one lucky boy between the two of us to yeah. buy it for full price <laughs> and own it digitally as long as the servers spin. Yep, forever we will have uh, Ford versus Ferrari, and that means that we will be. Able to do an Oscar wrap-up episode, uh, and we will have seen every film at this point. Matthew, uh, having not the only film, I guess we haven't seen and discussed on this podcast is Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah. What is your? Uh, what is? Uh, let me just read out the uh, best picture nominees for the year. Oh, um, we're doing this now. Yeah, let's, <laughs> you're so flustered. Listen well, do a quick thing before we jump into 1917, because 1917 is the front runner, uh, and the nominees at this point are Little Women, 1917, Ford versus Ferrari. Joker, mm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm. Parasite, mm. The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Ooh. Marriage Story. Those are the nominees at this point. What's, I, what's is your this front? the first
0: Netflix? No, no, Roma was... Yeah, you, Roma you know, was nominated. So n- Roma busted that door open. Yeah. Um, ah, man, I... <laughs>
1: But <laughs> what, what's your what's your what, you know I've uh, been if s- you
0: were an academy voter I've been so furious about Joker's 11 nominations right 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 that I've not really paid full attention to on, on all the other ones um <sighs> I mean parasite would, be, me- would yeah. be mine I mean there's no question now do I think that's going to happen? Probably not yeah um something like a 1917 or
1: a Ford V Ferrari or I think Ford V Ferrari's got very slim chance. I, I don't was, think that's we haven't seen it the, yet. I don't think it's got the momentum to. to if if the, all the that award, horsepower, if the if the awards are based purely on momentum, uh, I would go. It's parasite. It's 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 for parasite, or nineteen seventeen potentially. Uh, Little Women or Once Upon a Time. I think those are the four. Yeah. Those are the four in the lead. Um, you don't think Joker has a chance? I think Joker has got too much heat uh, in the negative. It's it's too divisive of a film to to have, to win. Uh, but Gre- there's been divisive films. Yeah, Green Book won last year. Uh, but Joker has not also had the awards momentum that 1917 has. You no. know, like it hasn't picked up as many like Best Picture noms as um, as that. So, um, but for me, for me, really, the two films that I'm most excited about on this list, actually three: are Parasite, Marriage Story, and Little Woman. Those are my three. I, 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 I and I'm I would, with I, you
0: on the Little Women front, and I'm with you on the Parasite front. I I I liked Marriage Story quite a bit.
1: Yeah, Um, if I if I those would be the three I'd narrow it down to. And if I said I was going to nominate, give one of these a single award, it would be Parasite. My
0: my things. Whenever I'm talking about even awards or like films that I want to give praise to, I always try to go back to like how many how how much time have I spent outside the theater thinking about Mm. these films.
1: So do you quantify
0: that? Uh, I, I mean, I, I not not scientifically correctly outside of the lab of my own brain, but like I I can honestly say that other than Laura Dern's character, I have not really thought much about Marriage
1: Story after Ooh, the fact. Man, I've thought about that movie so much. I love that movie. Uh,
0: no, I, I liked it a lot too. I I do not want to... No shame to to Marriage Story. I just if we're looking at like I've thought I've I've actively thought about Parasite. I've actively thought about Little Women. I've actively thought about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
1: Mm. Um my wife was watching that last week uh and she stopped at like 30 minutes in or 25 minutes in i, I remember cuz i was in the other room and she was like all right look can you just tell me who these people are because i i can't do this she was, <laughs> like, she was like just tell me who all these people are and how they're connected and i was like i can't do that yeah I you know anyway 19 <laughs> Seventeen. We're gonna party like it's nineteen seventeen. Right. Uh, in the throes of World War One, uh, coming to the final year of World War One. Uh, you run a history podcast. Uh, you run a history show. I do run a history show. Uh, so actually,
0: fun fact, we've just moved so there was a there was a hard cutoff um, I'm trying to remember uh, before my time at extra credits, mm-hmm. there was a hard cutoff for the voting times that you could put um history to. and I think it was a hundred years past. like there was basically like if we, if we if a hundred years haven't passed, we don't have the historical context to like really deep dive into like a historical thing of what happened. like you need you need a generation or so. It's kind of our posit what we had, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're changing that a little bit. We've actually moved it up, I think, to, I want to say everything right before World War Two. So now World War One is opened up. We're doing actually one of this a series. Have you
1: done? I mean, hasn't Extra History done things that beyond? Yes. Yeah, so
0: sponsored sponsored episodes can be whatever the, the sponsor <laughs> has a game coming out. We'll do it like that. But we because the, the truth of the matter is World War Two is such a prevalent historical.
1: Like, so you don't do the Napoleonic Wars? No. So let me give me a yeah.
0: So World War Two is such a, a a beast. Yeah. We found that you know it, it it's just the thing that people want sort of the most. We want to make sure that we cover other. Aspects and we we're, were worried that sort of drowned out. Anyway, doesn't matter. We've moved the thing up. We're actually we're doing some stuff around this time period now, just not in this part of the world. I can't spoil what we're doing yet, but it's very very exciting. I do so. The yes, yeah, sorry, <laughs> tangent. Yes, I run extra history without yeah. the brilliant writer Robert Rath and some amazing artists uh, Nick Dewitt and Ali uh, Artham. Um, it is absolutely lovely. We have some guest writers coming up and I have learned, I've never been truly, I've always been interested in history, but I've never had like the, I mean, access to these super talented people to, to teach me and help me tell these stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it has been a whirlwind of history for me for the last like year and a half, two
1: years. Okay. Okay um I don't know a lot about World War one but I've been uh, binge listening to uh, Dan Carlin's uh, podcast uh blueprint for Armageddon yeah. you it's like 12 hours uh, uh, of of historical um, information about uh, how World War one and Dan Carlin's such a good storyteller yeah um, so it's really fun to listen to it and 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 you know the the pretext for World War one as I understand it according to Dan Carlin I think this is you know uh, debated in historical fact but it was the assassination of Franz Ferdinand yep. uh, the arch archduke. Duke of austro hungary um, I'm, 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 I'm probably getting all of this wrong, um, uh, but by Gabriel Princip, and it, he kind of like starts it off with this like this idea that a, that that in in the historical context. Um, uh, people are you know we, we think about names that have impacted li- like so many lives and we think about the big names in that you know Adolf Hitler being one of them but he uh, Carlin posits that Gabriel Princip uh may be one of the most significant figures in his histor- in history that hasn't been really talked about that much
0: well, the interesting <laughs> thing about w- history and and war <laughs> in history okay is the way we talk about this is something I've kind of learned. The way we talk about war and and like a lot of times when we're really trying to peace because war in it in itself is such a I'm gonna sound like such a the hippie at this point, but like it's such a silly concept. Right. Like it's the the most horrible thing that a group of human beings can engage in to a point, depending yeah. on, you know, you could argue a couple different things. But with that in mind. I think in a historical context, we always try to figure out, well, how did this happen? How did this massive amount of calculated death start? Right. And we do tend to go back to sort of like one person or like one event, which you can you can kind of sort of talk about like, yeah, this, this kicked it off, right? Franz Ferdinand, et cetera. But, and again, this is all conjecture and just sort of my own opinion on the way we read history. So many things happen around that event that, say, like, if that event didn't happen, something else could have just as easily happened and the powder keg would spark. Like, there's a trillion other things that make it so that's the perfect moment for a thing to happen.
1: Right, and and his point is that the, uh, the assassination of uh, Archduke uh, Ferdinand was so... Continuously constructed, you know, like they're basically a group of men yeah. uh, conspired to to assassinate the archduke, and then failed to do so. The archduke kept driving, and then the car that the archduke was in suddenly happened to stop in front of Gabriello Princip, who was one of the people that you know. Yep. So this was this essentially the second attempt to assassinate. It was like, I guess the way he frames it uh, is the idea that that. There was a sense of inevitability in terms of how much the wheels of fate put these two people right in front of each other, yep. and happened to kind of, uh, you know, you know, it sparked off what began uh, the the major, the first major world war since the Napoleonic Wars, um, and and it's a it's a fascinating story. It's one that I, I think 1917 doesn't specifically engage with directly because because 1917 like uh films like Saving Private Ryan for example aren't really about the mechanics of war but as much about the day-to-day operation of war yes. from a boots on the ground kind of approach and on the one hand i think that is a uh, a fairly noble approach. It's, it's something that I, you know, I guess my initial apprehension about this film was that I was not particularly excited to see this film. I, you know, knew it existed. I knew about the, uh, the, the Deacon's one take thing, you know, that would had been, uh, uh, much touted about. Uh, but I, you know, I, I gotta be honest with you, the idea of doing another sort of man on the mission kind of war movie didn't excite me. The last war movie that you know, like excited me on, on principle um, was Three Kings. You know, like it was the the George Clooney heist in Iraq movie. You know, because because I was like, oh, I haven't seen a heist in Iraq kind of movie. You know, like it's and you know if you think about Sam Mendes' career, uh, the last war movie he did was uh, Jarhead, Jarhead, which yeah. is a fairly sort of uh, melancholic look at uh, at what war does to people. Yeah. So I, I I was not that enthralled with the idea of having seen this movie. Uh, um,
0: I when I when I saw the first trailer. I was like, nah, right. like I was just straight up like, I don't, ugh. What is the nah,
1: what is the nah based on? Like, the well, nah what
0: was, w- to be honest, so check this out, this is my weird journey with this film before I saw it. I saw the trailer. Mm-hmm. And it just looked like a sort of, like, nice, well-shot World War One movie about uh, two guys doing a, a mission, right? Yeah. And then the end when uh, he's running, and this is a trailer, There's a spoiler for the trailer for 1917, but he's running diagonally across the field when the men are charging, mm-hmm. and there's the... And, like, the wor- the letters of the numbers of 1917 sort of frame him as he's running. Yeah. That image, I was just, like... <laughs> like I just what for whatever reason it just knocked me like went from like oh, I don't really care to like I actively don't want to see this right okay I don't know why it just did right. then hmm. an interesting thing happened that I I'm wondering if this affected other people um and, and what I don't know if it was Nuvi or any of that bullshit that plays before the trailers you know the commercials before the commercials before the film yeah uh there was a a little mini doc. On the crafting of 1917 with Roger Deakins and Sam Mendes, and um, they were talking about how they chose to do the film with the sort of one-take bit, and it showed a lot of behind-the-scenes footage of how the camera was connecting and functioning and, like, doing, like, having to do the the crazy things that it does. And they were talking about not only – they were not only showing the technical side of it, but they also – he uh, I wish I remembered the exact words, but he talked about the reasons why he wanted to do it this way. It was right. like not just sort of like straight up gimmick. The point was that, like, he'd always felt that like he'd never gotten to see a full, like, never flinching look from a soldier's perspective at the horrors that you kind of go through in a war. right. And after watching that, even just little little newbie trailer or wherever it was, I was like, Oh yeah, fuck yeah! I want to see this movie. Really? Like I was so goddamn pumped. Huh? Uh, so like I went on a weird, like rubberneck snap mm-hmm. uh, journey of of giving a sh- to to from um, not really caring to really not wanting to see it to being like I need to see this in a theater.
1: Hmm. Wasn't that the 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 way I think I sold you on uh, Long Day's Journey Into Night, fifty minute long take?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that was the reason. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. Short answer, yes. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, I, so I basically, I got to sell you on like long takes or technical something to, in order to get you in the movie theater. I
0: mean, not, not,
1: <laughs> I mean, that's definitely helpful, but it's not a necessity. <laughs> I,
0: I just think like technical, technical takes so they, for if, a reason.
1: If on the trailer they could say shot in 35 millimeter, anamorphic. No, 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 lenses. no, 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 no. No, okay, case in <laughs> point. Uh, again,
0: if you're just doing a tech trick just to do a tech trick, a yeah. la Gemini man, it's a gimmick and it doesn't do well in my brain. Okay. Okay. If you're doing it for a reason like Long Day's Journey into Night, if you're doing I'll even go back Tron Legacy using <laughs> 3D as a narrative device. Right. By that I mean the the movie is only in three D when they're inside the Tron universe, therefore making the three D an actual narrative component of the film. Right. Um. And and I do feel like this film uses the one shot, uh, I guess, style trick uh, to to actually give. Uh, a resident emotional experience that I don't believe I would have had had they not shot it this way. Okay, And I'll get into a little bit more of why in a minute, but like, if you're gonna do a trick, Mm -hmm. I I need you to have a point to it. Not just like, see this cool thing I can do? And I do think that 1917 does go beyond the see the cool thing I can do.
1: What is 1917 about?
0: Oh, well, in the year of our Lord, uh, 2020, where we all roll with advantage, IMDb, says, two young British soldiers during the First World War are given an impossible mission. Deliver a message deep in enemy territory that will stop 1,600 men. W- and one
1: of the soldiers brothers from walking straight into a deadly trap just the fact that it's an impossible mission I would have loved that at some point during this movie they were running and then suddenly past them runs Tom Cruise ah, and they're I just like you? and they're just like hey who's that <laughs> and he's like I'm just trying to get over here
0: who hasn't cut that into the 1970s <laughs> an
1: impossible mo- no, an impossible mission look of course uh war movie. we've discussed war movies on this podcast uh uh before war movies are hell uh war mo- war is Hell and war movies are here to remind us that war movies uh, that no war is hell. <laughs> there you go. Um, but uh, and, and I Or to glorify w- it. Uh, well, I I don't think any movie that we've reviewed on this podcast, uh, you know, like we I think the the probably the last touch point, which w- which is a good reference point for this hmm. film, is Dunkirk. Um, but I don't think any movie has outwardly gone out of, uh, you know, like, glorified war in any way. Um, But, uh, you know, I was always reminded of that Francois Truffaut quote, which said that no movie can, no film is truly anti-war, because the very depiction of war in some way propagates the idea that war is a noble cause, where in fact uh and this is you know my uh my feeling is that i would never engage uh in warfare because i would never be capable of doing it uh for one i don't think i would make a very good soldier and uh for two um war um to me um is the you know like uh what is the von clausewitz quote uh, war is the um war is the uh, natural extension when politics fails. Yes. Um, so it, it often has little to do with the people who are actually fighting it.
0: Right. War. War fi- it was one thing we have to come into to terms with. I think <laughs> as as consumers of entertainment media, and mm. that's not to say that you can't learn from the media you consume, and mm. it can't be educational as well as entertaining. Hi. Go to extracredits.com or extra credits uh, the YouTube page. But the uh, one thing we have to come to terms with is that while war if you're using war in a film you are using it as spectacle you are not saying you don't even have to be saying one way or the other that war is good or war is bad but you are using the 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 deaths and suffering the idea of that as a draw point to tell what would be an interesting story, there is a there is an element of doing that, and that's any media. Like it's just you have to decide what you are comfortable with and when.
1: Well, I think I think maybe the other side to that is that war is a natural spectacle. Like, war is like, like, uh, what is the, um, what well, humans it, like watching humans die? Uh, I can't remember who, who said this. I, th- I feel like it was, uh, Truman or something like this, but the, the governing principle of any society is its ability to wage war. Um, and, and war is a, is the basis for which, uh, human beings are at their most capable. You know, like basically the idea of, of either, uh, ma- uh creating an affront to another group of people or, or, um, or defending themselves, you know, like war is the war is the ultimate spectacle historically, or uh, space travel most, yeah,
0: or one of the two, <laughs> yeah, uh, of space the two. force. Uh, yeah. By the way, the new symbol is out for space force. Very and it looks tricky, right? Very tricky. Yeah. Um, don't worry though; that'll fit nice onto those camo jumpsuits, those forest camo jumpsuits for all the space jungles out there, you <laughs> fucks. Um, the <laughs> uh, technological breakthroughs in human history. A shit ton of them are through times of war. Yeah, Uh, it it drives innovation. Yeah, it it is weird. Uh, uh, I I do go back to the spectacle thing. I played my first, and this is a this is a gamer Mm -hmm. sin here. Henry Cavill, call me out. Um, I played my first Call of Duty last Mm -hmm. year. I'd Mm -hmm. never played the Call of Duty series. Right, and it's the new one, uh, the one that came out in 2019, and that game. A lot of people buy it for the multiplayer, and that's just sort of, you know, you can think about that one way or the other. I've been playing through the story campaign, and I got to tell you, I was going, I'm going really slow. Right. It is so well crafted from a storytelling perspective, but it's, sh- but like, it's, it's this weird, terrible balance of like making you disgusted with everything that's going on, but like you realize that you still have to like run through and just murder people. Right. And yeah. it's, and it's, it's,
1: Fucking weird. Like, yeah, war. War has that sort of uh, odd uh, principle about it, which is that ultimately war is about the propagation of one species of humanity versus another. Right. But but it results in the death of you know of, of human beings that are by all accounts equal in the eyes of of the environment. You know like like this is why I love um Terence Malick's film The Thin Red Line mm. is that The Thin Red Line uh, basically visually and, and poetically kind of posits the idea that that war is an affront to the planet. Yeah. You know like no matter what no matter what uh, side you're on it doesn't really matter what 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 is notable about this is war is an affront to the planet itself. Yeah. Um and and I think you know that you know like The Snoopy's Christmas for example which is about 1916 you know about the the Christmas truce is really kind of uh, you know as much as we you know sing that song and think about it and stuff that really is a testament to the idea that you know like um, do the Germans love their children too you know like like are we are we equal when we stand in front of one another uh, yet we seem to have this sort of dividing force which will cause one of us to kill the other. and I think you know, like uh, you know, from a leaning left-leaning liberal sort of standpoint, that you know I'm I'm you know naturally predisposed to not wanting to engage on that. But I certainly appreciate that that technology and certainly the history of cinema uh, is is built upon the advancement or the uh, our, our ability to depict warfare. You know, it certainly you can see that in gaming as well. The ability to depict uh, the mechanisms of warfare are a governing principle for how games are developed. It's exactly. a governing principle for how cinema is developed.
0: Even, again, the reason why I'm having such a hard time getting through the Call of Duty campaign is, it is visceral, and it is, it's not black and white. It's mm. very sort of, well, it is and it isn't. There Like, there's a part in the new game that uh, I had a very hard time with, which is, uh, remember in the um, the Gulf War, the Highway of Death? Uh, do you remember that it was it was one believe, it, uh, it was one
1: long stretch of highway that
0: that that was uh the troops were retreating Iraqi mm-hmm. troops were retreating um, and U S and coalition forces bombed the shit out of it and incinerated every last vehicle. Right. And the U S said that it was, you know, uh, rapists and looters and like whatever. And then, but also journalists on the ground the next day said, oh, actually there's a lot of civilian vehicles here and there's like children's toys and like other things. So like there was probably a lot of collateral damage and know what? like it kind mm-hmm. of has gone back and forth. There's a level in the fucking new Call of Duty, and this is this was news maybe in October or September when it came out, that has a backdrop of this highway yeah. after this has happened. Um, and you are a sniper up in a thing, and there's forces coming at you. You're fighting the Russians, I believe. But when the bombers come, and they name drop it. They call it the Highway of Death. It's in a fictional country and a fictional thing, but whatever. They literally use the 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 media term for this battle. Yeah. And the the moment when the U.S. forces and the coalition forces bomb the shit out of the the highway, they change it historically to be the Russians,
1: right? Of course,
0: because and so like so. This is my point. While I do think that gaming media, any sort of thing that depicts war, can really make you like affected and disgusted and kind of like do the the right messaging behind like why the fuck are we doing this? Right. There's that angle of it, but then there's also. Whenever you're depicting something, you are putting in your biases. Call of Duty doesn't make that bombing happen by the United States because it doesn't want you playing as an American soldier to feel weird. When it has an opportunity, in my opinion, you should feel weird. Like, war's not black and white. Yeah. So we have to be careful with our media and how we sort of look at it. And and our people that create it have to be careful, too, to sort of, like, try not to paint things in one particular shade. I don't know. And, and and so going back to nineteen seventeen, it's a lot easier, in my opinion, to not paint in a specifically black and white scenario about the 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 the, the who is right and who is wrong, the costs of like the, the the large picture, the the macro picture of war. When you are focused down on a micro of a soldier or two soldiers in one of the armies. Right. Especially when it's like, you have these orders. Go get it done. Right. And so so these are the kind of stories that I went in war films that I gravitate towards like I you know remember I didn't really connect with Dunkirk. Right. Um and I don't want to really get back into that but like this is a story of a of a of, of two men in a terrible situation that have to do a thing. Right. And that's very basic and I can understand it and the backdrop of the war and I think again going back to the one-takeness of it I think does help paint a picture of how difficult and how terrible and how horrifying this entire thing was more so than any other. And again, I don't see a shit ton of war movies, but more so than any other war movie that I have seen. Right. Um, from, from a battle perspective, we're not talking about like, um, you know, <laughs> depictions of say the Holocaust that we've covered um, in, yeah. in various films and whatnot.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you know, just to put it uh, where I approach this movie in context for, I think I, um, uh, I am sort of predisposed not to, not, well, to, to, to us. I war movies a little bit more suspiciously than I would anything else because of because of my uh, my belief about yeah. you know the nature of war uh, and then you know like how it plays into the nature of humanity. Um, but you know like I for example um, I think the the three war movies that I'm you know like I do think are worth your time and 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 thinking about and I true and I do think about them um, is is the Thin Red Line, um, Three Kings, and then Paths of Glory, um, the Stanley Kubrick film about uh, World War One you know sort of uh, but but the reason I think that that film is interesting is that that is about um, uh, figuring out the the ethics of war you know because uh, Paths of glory is about uh, a trial of three soldiers and whether they had done the right thing sure uh, and it's essentially like how does the ethics of morality play into uh, wartime you know like is it right to do this thing when essentially the Play, the people around us are, you know, governing ourselves for the purpose of killing other people. doesn't yeah. matter if we kill ourselves in that period. Anyway, so I think that's really interesting. I, I want to pull up a quote from Christy Wilson-Kins, who was one of the other writers on this film. Um, and she and the interesting thing about this film, I guess, and the person I've been thinking a little bit about uh, as, I've, as I watch this film... Uh, was Nigel Farage? Uh, Nigel, who, uh, Nigel, who is you know obviously the um, UKIP, uh, well, former UKIP leader who you know led the Brexit movement in the UK, who is a World War II, World War One historian who kind of like championed this film as the terrific example of British uh, British solidarity within uh, you know a difficult period of uh, time, which is you know again plays into his entire message of you know like Brexit and you know isolationism and right. uh, that sort of thing, you know all um, that stuff, which which is the way which these films are politicized post their production sure um and christy uh christy wilson Cairns, who's a uh, co-writer who co-wrote this film with with sam Mendes, uh wrote this thing which i think she actually co- copped a little bit of flack for um but uh she wrote that the thing about world war one is that world war one is much has a much more complicated history historical it, world war one is a much more complicated historical shit show. For lack of a better word, empire versus empire, war over treaties, men fighting for king and country without really knowing what that means. Mm-hmm. What fascinated me about World War One was the trenches were sometimes as close as 50 yards apart. The man you hated over there was the exact same person as you. Uh, by the time we got to 1915 or 1916, a lot of the people had realized that the enemy was human just like them. Uh, there was something powerful and unifying about that conflict. That alone was enough to to capture my attention Uh, 60 million people were dragged into a war and that's 60 million stories Um, so the thing that I think is interesting there and the thing that I I think is always fascinating in war films is the way in which war films typically um, are depicted by a them versus us principle you know, like there is a very there, rarely
0: do you see a war film with
1: equals equal time and measure put on both sides of a conflict. Yeah, exactly. And and I think, you know, like even 1917. So we'll get into 1917 very shortly. I know yeah, it's we promise a, the long preamble to get there. But I, I I do think it's important to kind of play place our historical context, because I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid with this movie. Um, There was Kool-Aid with this movie? uh, Yeah, it was offered at the front, and I was like, no, thank you. What the hell? (laughs) I wasn't offered Kool-Aid. Oh, actually, maybe it was when you came out of the movie. They were like, hey, did you enjoy the movie? Here's some Kool-Aid. And I was like, no, thank you. I will just sit sit here and just sip my tea. What flavor was it? (laughs) Uh, It was dirt. And... (laughs) um and uh I I w- when we talked about the Irishman the one of the things we talked about in 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 relation to the iron Irishman was the <laughs> the w- Ironman. the Ironman <laughs> was the <laughs> Was that Iron Man 3? It was when you see <laughs> the, the Iron, Iron Man? Man. Yeah. Um, no, it was that. Was the, is the machinery of technology that is being wielded for the Irishman being wielded for something that is personal? And I think the interesting thing that happened when we discussed the Irishman is that we really didn't get into the technology of it all, even though that was sort of foregrounded in the marketing and everything, until the very, very end of that discussion. We were like, oh yeah, by the way, they did this de-aging thing, which was like revolutionary. And I think in this case... The foregrounding of marketing for this film is the single take. It yep. is Roger Deakins, who is one of the great living cinematographers. There's a very Britishness of this film, you know, mm-hmm. uh, about this film. Sam Mendes kind of, sort of adapting a story that was told to him by his grandfather. Um, the the one take for me really, uh, in a way, nullified anything that i think this film was doing narrative wise because the, because the one take to me um and you know and i think about this in in relation to a film like children of men which has this sort of you know is famously known for its for its one takes but the thing about children of men's one single takes is that they 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 sort of they sneak up on you you know there's a sense when you're watching a, a, the the one take in children of men or there's several of them we're like oh that was a one take. Whereas when I'm watching this, I kind of begin with the principle that this is going to be your single take. And I think that is a, that is a sort of a pro- byproduct of the fact that this is coming in as a Oscar frontrunner, that this is the marketing of the film. But I also found that the one takedness of this whole thing um, yeah, tended to nullify my engagement with what was happening. Because as I was watching it, all I was watching for tended to be where is the camera going to go from this point forward, and like, how does the camera like move maneuver around this space? And, and, and I was like, why am I wondering about that, and why am I not engaged in actually what is happening narratively? And it's not that I, I think a, a narrative can be simple like this is, you know, this is basically I need to get from this space to that space. My problem is, is I don't think that the narrative uh, is connected to the one takenness of it, and and I have a pitch. Uh, which is, you know, like, part of me was kind of watching this as a, as a filmmaker, and I have a pitch for, like, an idea that I would have to, like, try and connect it by the end of the film. Um, and, I, you know, I'm not suggesting that, that that I could make this film better or anything like that. But, oh, you kind of are. No, no, what I'm suggesting is I didn't drink the Kool-Aid on this film because I didn't find that the one takedness of it all... But now you yeah. have an
0: idea on how it might make it work for you.
1: I have an idea of, like, what I think would be interesting and I and it's basically about like how I think that would that one take would be interesting more
0: interesting for you and therefore a better experience for you
1: I mean, I I'm making a suggestion. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, I just,
0: I, I'm not saying what you're doing is bad. I just want you to own it. Yeah. I wa- if you, you you didn't like an aspect or, or certain aspects of this film, and you think to, uh, you would to a film that you would want to see, you have an idea that you how to turn this into that a little bit.
1: Well, I, I have an idea about like what would have made the one take work for work me. Work for you? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and at this point, the one take for me, um, it, it, it this is a, when I watch it, I go, this is an astonishing achievement of engineering. That's what I that's what I get out of this. It's an astonishing achievement of engineering to make that one take, you know, which is not one take, it's you know several takes what? Kind of bro- broken up. Um You just ruined the magic. There's only there's only one moment in the film where I felt that the one take transcended into poetry. And and I'll describe what that moment is later on, but up until uh, uh, around that, the one-takenness kind of didn't really do anything for me. And and I felt that the narrative itself you know uh, you know tro- works and tropes that we have seen from this kind of movie many times before and doesn't really say much about either where we live now or or much about the that experience
0: uh, this is so fascinating because well a, a couple things first and foremost the the way you've described the one the one take is a way a lot of people that I've I saw went to see this movie with a couple of friends, uh, people that I've discussed the movie with again. Have, I've said the whole same thing. Like they're like I couldn't get into it. Like I was just like looking for like where they're gonna cut, and that's I totally get that. Uh, and I kind of thought that's where I'd go. Yeah. Uh, I gotta say, I fucking loved this movie, <laughs> uh, I, and I did not expect to walk out. As in awe as I did, and I have a couple theories as to why. Because again, to your, it's weird. I'm not disagreeing with any point that you have. The narrative is bland and boring as fuck. Like the, I, I don't find the story of this uh, or like the, I guess the narrative structure of what's going on interesting in the least. I don't care. There's a mission. Great, cool. What I find fascinating, and what I uh, what I really connected with emotionally, and I put it to the one take, is putting me the closest I've ever been or felt in a in the same position as the main character, hmm. in a in a near feudal situation, out of their control, having to do this incredibly difficult task with death around every corner. And I found myself I, here's the thing. I thought I'd look for the points. Mm. I never did. I yeah. looked I thought about it afterward. Yeah. but when I was in it, I was in it to the point the only time I caught myself like being like realizing how in it I was, I shit you not man. I was like crouched mm. in my seat and my back started hurting. I was like, why was I I'm like, oh, and I'd like straighten up yeah because I was transfixed. By the visual journey that, like, what's the, there's a term for when you when you emotionally just sort of put yourself into a character.
1: I mean, the psychological term is sutured,
0: but yeah. If... So I got sutured like a motherfucker.
1: I don't know if that's the way you would use that <laughs> phrase,
0: but I, I got don't... sutured like a motherfucker. <sighs> I was just in it, and I it did not shake me. It did not do anything. And then when I was done watching the film, <laughs> I kind of had that same thing where I'm like, well, nothing, like. I don't I couldn't tell you the characters names. Mm. Like and I'm big on names. And like mm. I could and like I am like and then people were like weren't you thrown with the cameos? And I was like what cameos? And they're like oh well, you know Colin uh Firth and and um Doctor Strange waiting in the Doctor Strange waiting and, like and I was like
1: And it is it Nid Stark?" No, no. Who's uh, oh, the first no, uh, first one? Fir- uh, yeah, the first born star. Richard Madden, who is fantastic, by the way, yeah. in um, oh, what's that TV show that he's in? That he, uh, the Bodyguard.
0: I think he's actually fantastic in this. I, it, here's the, the thing.
1: Bodyguard. What is that show? There's something. It's something Bodyguard or
0: something. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not The Witcher. <laughs> um, so I, I, I didn't quite realize it was them until I reflected. Yeah. So, so my point, I guess, is this: the technical that this film did. Yeah. After upon thinking about it, like I, looking at like the sort of behind the how the sausage is made. Yeah, that's really fascinating. But it was so effective for me. It was such an effective trick. Yeah. That it masked not only its own trickery, but a a, a quite milk toast story, and got me the most engaged in a war film I think I've ever really? been. Really. I can't. It, I I've I never have felt closer to a situation in a war film than I did in 1917, huh. and I, and, it, and it's so strange, because again, I don't wanna, I, I'm i not conflicting with any, everything you've described about this movie, 100%, but for whatever reason, I didn't click out to that place mm. until I was out of the theater. I was walking out of it, dude, and my friends I was with, I was like, I can't believe how much I love this thing, I'm gonna talk to them, like we're gonna have such a great conversation, and all of them are just like, yeah whatever, mm-hmm. and I was like, what? <laughs> Like it, it, it threw me that I was so affected by this movie, and no, it doesn't seem like anyone else that I've talked to was.
1: I mean, this movie is is getting near unanimous critical praise. Many people are emotionally resonating with it. I particularly, you know, I found that that the the thing for me is that the the technological side of this film didn't move me into feeling affected for the principles that the film is actually really talking about which is the you know which is essentially the same principle as um um you know, here here's for me the, the the there's a key line in the middle of this film mm. um, that I think is summing up what this film is about or wants to be about but it is a line that never really pays off okay do, do you know what line no, I no, might no, be talking I'm, about? I'm curious. Well, well, I'm curious what what the film kind of meant to you. I mean, it was it just kind of drew you so in. Here's the thing. Yeah, yeah. and this is why
0: I think it actually is the technical that got me into this emotional state and not the mm-hmm. story. The story. Okay, let's let's try to break down what we think this movie is trying to say. Right. Okay. Um, that there is uh, honor. In in sort of soldierhood, and like you you get sort of like you have a, an important mission that you like need to do not only for your governing body
1: of troops. This is the the saving private Ryan principle. The the lives of one is uh the 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 good of uh, uh uh of one is better than the the needs of the man. or
0: something yeah. like that yeah. but also uh, well i don't know if that this might go the opposite it's direction because it's right but yeah, but yeah. uh but also so there's sort of again that sort of macro like do your duty it's a lo- you are you are honorable if you do so Yeah. also then there's the familial component where like um you know you're you, the the two men are going one of them his brother is in the battalion that's going to go to their death yeah. uh and then there's also now we're about what uh, 49 minutes into this podcast so i'm going to get into <laughs> some spoilers um the character, there's two soldiers that go out in this mission, and I didn't see this coming mm. at all. And again, all my friends were like, You didn't see this coming? And I was like, No, because <laughs> yeah. I was just in it. Um, the character whose brother is in the battalion dies, right? And then it's just the friend who he is that
1: Tom and Berethian, by uh, the way? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't know, <laughs> that, that, but basically, uh, he he um arbitrarily picks his buddy who was napping next to him to go on this mission, and mm. now it's this guy who has no stake other than just the military, like no familial stake. Going to try to save this platoon, and then and then because of his, I guess, sort of either okay friend or accomplice, they don't seem super close. Yeah, um, you know, finding his brother and letting him know what happened and
1: and and all that stuff, and revealing at the end that he had a he has a wife and child at home. Yeah, it which appears, we kind of knew. Uh, no, I, he, no, he because I gathered it. Oh, he kept of wh-
0: looking at his thing and closing it, looking at his thing and closing it. Oh, well, that's where he put the litter. But he, but in the beginning, before they even go, yeah, yeah. he's looking at it,
1: and then you know it has that sort of interesting thing where he meets a a French woman who's hiding underneath, and she has a baby, and he kind of like you know he has uh, Chikov's milk, uh, which he gives to her. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I thought again. So there's a moment where they they get to an abandoned farm,
0: and uh, they're out of water because they had to dump it in his eyes because of a whole thing. Which again, I thought that sequence was very, very good. I did
1: uh, the 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 actual the rat bata- the, the the rat explosion the rat explosion I think was very well handled because it's it it sets the stakes up. Really well but it like that other than getting us to that place the one take oddness of it there doesn't really have to I love it n- n- do much there i was all about it yeah i was all about, and my friends
0: sorry we're, we're kind of all over the place at this point mm-hmm. my friends were like so like what it was a nine hour journey he did in two hours and i was like well no like there's there's moments where uh after an explosion or falling down some stairs like time is malleable in the way that they're telling this story yeah um Ah, man,
1: I just you—you you were telling the story of the French woman.
0: Oh, the French. Oh, sorry, you—you you brought up Chekhov's milk. He found—he so finds milk at this farm. He refills his canteen, and then after a bunch of other stuff happens, the baby that he finds this French woman is starving in a city, and and she, she, she and he's milk. giving canned food that he found, and she goes, "Oh, he can't eat this. He can only have milk." And you have this moment of like. Oh! Oh,
1: and it was. I, I actually the the chick milk thing is probably a little bit dismissive. I think I think that is actually a night. It, it, it's not dealt with. It is when you say it out loud, kind of ridiculous that he finds milk that he eventually need, you know will give someone else later. But it, it's it's dealt with a level of a degree of subtlety. I right, was
0: kinda. so fucking. First you're terrified, then you're pumped in this moment of hope for that thing where like it just. It... A lot of times you're right, though, like it, 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 uh, there's there's a thing that just so ha- per- per- happens so perfectly because a writer wrote it. Right. This to me didn't feel like that. Huh. This to me felt like because they're like narratively, it sort of makes sense. And, and maybe I I don't want to keep going back to video games, but I, I do think that this film has a very gaming Feel you're with one character over their shoulder the entire time. That's Mm -hmm. a perspective from a third person shooter perspective that I'm, or an action adventure game that I'm very familiar with. Mm -hmm. Also, the idea that you find a thing that is useful sort of later to another thing, depending on your choices, that feels very gamery to me. And I don't know. It all felt it 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 never in the moment felt forced or planned. Of course, looking back, I'm laughing. I'm like, yeah, check. I'm like, what the fuck. Yeah. But in the moment. I was so there. So we sorry, we got off. The the points of the movie. Honor both for country and for brotherhood, um doing your duty. Um I don't know, but th- those things are all quite trite to me and there's have one,
1: been done a million times. So there's to me, there is one key line in this movie that I that's the it's the first line and it happens halfway through where I was like, "Ah, this is the movie." Oh, okay. And the and the line is from Mark Strong, uh, Mark Strong's character comes in halfway, and oh, he say, and he says to he says to uh, George McKay's character, um, uh, who, uh Lance Corporal Schofield, he says to him, "Make sure you have witnesses. Some men just want the fight." Yep. And um, I thought a lot about um, it, uh, that line. To me, is the is the critical line. That is the line that sums up what this movie should be about it puts an extra level at that moment no no, that that's not the extra level that is the movie that is what the movie should be thematically about because the thing about world war one is like people didn't know why they were fighting you know that's that that's the you know like in in dan carlin's um Podcast. He talks about the fact that, like, um, the machinery of, of World War One was such that you know it was such such an ex- extraordinary explosion of of technology changes mm-hmm. that by the time people had reached the front line, the technology behind them of people who were joining the line had changed. You know, like uh, they talk about World War One being well, the only war which started on horses and ended on tanks. Yeah. You know, like and and to me that line where people didn't even know why they were fighting and they didn't understand. You know, like they they just wanted the fight. But the end, and, okay. and and, and and I was like, okay, this is the line. I'm really interested in what they do with this line. And by the time we get to Benedict Cumberbatch, kind of just receiving his order, he's just kind of like, okay, cool. Uh, and, and you know, like you know, the, the 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 thought the thought of witness the fact that George McKay doesn't have to, he just has to get to Benedict Cumberbatch. He doesn't have to convince Benedict Cumberbatch. And I thought that's the thing that we did I, a little. We well, he just had to say, here's the letter. And once Benedict Cumberbatch reads the letter, he's like, cool but he has uh, and, to get
0: he had to convince what, everybody to get him to bed
1: But what back. Mark Strong is suggesting is that even if you get this person the letter, they may not care about it. Yeah. And I think that was an interest that to me was the conflict of the movie that I was really interested in seeing what it did to explore that idea.
0: So I don't think the movie this is and this is a sort of a I don't want to get into a a a, a word <laughs> s- semantical thing uh, as we normally do. But no, the See, I would argue that that is the point of the movie that you would be the most interested to see and it doesn't really deliver on. I don't think that line... Is, that's
1: why I said, "Oh, an extra level." I don't think that line is the point of the movie. But now, in, now, one second. Yeah. But you, when when you would just ask like, "What is the point of the movie?" You kind of struggled with. And I think I got it now. That's my. That's my. Know?
0: So I think. So well, no, no. That's the narrative point of the movie, and why I think that the narrative doesn't connect. Mm-hmm. What I think the point of this movie is, why this film is made the way it is made, is honestly visceral suturing to putting you into a wartime experiential scenario. experiential of of a, of a horrible time in history. That's why I think the story itself, or the, why the film itself can survive with such a milquetoast thing. I do wish that that line played more into it. Like, it would have been a much more interesting narrative experience had that line actually
1: had some more payoff than well, like- Well, because I think the thing about that line is then, if that line had kind of gone somewhere, then the film would have something to say. But so think
0: about it this way. And again, this is a half-baked idea that I want to talk through because I'm going to say it as if I believe it fully, but I don't. Okay. Okay? Um, so when he, when we, the soldier who is still alive, who still has the message to get it to the the battalion, uh, finally gets this line, and this is the first time when, when that character's like, just make sure you have witnesses. Some men just want the fight. That's the first time in the story that you actually ever question, like, oh, shit. Like, There's something, there's a level beyond just getting this to that thing. Like, if I want, if I believe that I need to stop this attack, my goal, my goalposts have now shifted. So, experientially, viscerally, I am now experiencing doubt in my mission. There might be more to my mission than I thought. Yeah. So, that is lingering with me the audience member who's in this moment mm. for the entirety of the moment until i get there yeah. and then when it actually does happen and i do agree it's a little bit too easy once he gets to doctor strange mm. um then once it happens and there's that moment like you don't quite know and he calls it off there was a a a, a moment of just relief like because and I, and that now it would have been a little bit easier or, or the tension wouldn't have been like uh, as racked up inside of me, I think, if that line never happened. Mm. And it was just like, was all you got to do is get from point A to point B. And if he got there and he's like, great, like the second he got to the the, the home trench, the the, mm. the battalion's trench, I would have been like, he made it. Great. Right. But now there's an
1: extra layer where I'm still like, he made it. But now he's got to make sure like, oh, fuck. But, like, the, but I think what the thing that line is sitting up is even if you get him this message. He may not do. Uh, that's do, my point. Yeah, yes. and that and but that's not what happened. But but
0: but I'm, and I'm again narratively 100%. I don't think from a, on the page words it pays off in in the way that it needs to pay off it, to 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 make people happy in certain ways. But for me, it did add that extra bit of doubt and tension and still worry and terror that after all of this, right? Holy shit, it might not even matter. And now I have to be ready to like convinced now do I think it does a narrative hand wave and like mm-hmm. that he's like fine whatever yeah. like
1: yes he he he, he uh, to to the uh to its credit they they Benedict Cumberbatch 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 uh, Cumberbatch uh, uh says uh, a thing which is interesting uh at the end of it and I I've been trying to sort of pass whether this is sort of interesting or not but he says you know like next week they'll tell me to fight next week you know and then the week after that but it sounds like you know because because the, the thing that Mark Strong is saying there is is that we're in this fight and we some people don't have the the honor and motives that you think they have, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. that's why you need witnesses around you, and you're going to have to convince this person that that do, that taking this action of going over the line will lead to the unnecessary death of all these people. He
0: never has, he has to convince no, him; but, he just says he has to get
1: but, people no, no. around. Yeah, you know, like you have to make sure that that that, that this is taken care of, and, and even if you do, they may still want to do it because some men just want the fight. Yep. Um, but that's not what happens at all. He just kind of he gets the notice and he's like, yeah, okay, cool. And some days they'll tell me this, and some days they won't tell me that. And, and there
0: is, but he does sound he does. The interesting mm. part here, now that I'm sort of thinking about it, is he does sound just like, if def- Benedict Cumberbatch's mm. m- main guy there, it feels a bit sort of defeated by by everything, right? Yeah. Because he because he does finally relent and be like, I will respect but his these general's it, orders, yeah. and then he's like, Yeah, okay, cool, you got me this. And he's and he's he's so defeated in his own thing about being on this line that he's like tomorrow
1: they're gonna tell me something fucking different. But and 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 for what we understand about that character is that he believes that he has the Germans on the retreat, yeah. And he wants to he wants Finish to them. Uh, he wants to uh, essentially capitalize on this moment in order to turn the tide of the war. Uh, and so he you know he fundamentally believes that he needs to do this in order to turn the tides of the war. Um, and so I, I was just sort of struck by. How that was the moment I thought that the film had something to say about this war and it had something to say about the nature of war or or this war in particular, and didn't really deliver on that. And then for me, the experiential side of it, um, you know, again, I, I didn't watch the trailer. I, I just I'd heard this film was shot in one take. I didn't watch any of the featurettes. Yep. Um, but I just found myself just kind of watching it for that for that sense. And I, and then I was thinking about that in relation to, um. Birdman, The Rivenant, you know, both Inaritu films, uh, Children of Men, the Alfonso Cuaron film, uh, Roma, which has many, you know, like yep. amazing single takes, Pods of Glory, which is famous for this sort of trench um, takes, which aren't that long, but, you know, kind of yeah. interesting that they were able to pull them off. But in those moments, I was never really... Even though I knew that they were technical achievements and the thing we talk about is those technical achievements, I was more connected to, like, what is this, fil- what is this film saying in those moments? And, and, and then I was kind of like, the, 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 tic- the tic- technicality of it was the icing on the cake. You know what's interesting about that? I
0: have the exact opposite experience in yeah. a weird way. Like, I, when a film does some flexing yeah. and does a single this take... This movie is
1: a big flex. But
0: here's the thing. Yeah. Because the whole film is the flex... I didn't think about the flex past I think maybe the first couple minutes. Right. A- and because of the the effectiveness of I guess the flex when a film even like Children of Men which is a fucking great film and that scene is highly effective. Yeah. If we're talking about the differential like of what an effective scene is I am taken out of that scene every once in a while because I'm like, "Holy shit, this is still one take." Right. Like, I do that because it is a it's it's diverging from the way the film the storytelling ah. is from the other
1: parts of the film. But do you so uh, we're gonna diverge back to Children of Men for a second. But yeah. Do you remember the the thing about that scene in Children of Men, We're mm-hmm. talking about you know a film from what, 15 years ago now. Uh, so this we is have an episode of, on it. Go back have, and we're, listen we're, to oh, it. Oh yeah, classics. We we did we did episode. do one pseudo yeah, yeah. classic. Um, is the the thing about that scene? Is the baby cry, like that? That's the flicks of that of that scene. Is the idea that there is this chaos and it's building upon each other and it's war and we yep. don't know how to go, and then it all stops because of this baby. Yes. And then and then it continues. Like, uh-huh. that to me is the flex. Like, I'm not... I, I go, oh, it's amazing that you did this in one take, but the flex there is that there is a connection. There is a narrative There's point. a narrative flex. Yeah, there's a narrative flex. But
0: my point is, the technical flex there, mm-hmm. because it is different from the other things that they are doing. I mean, they do it a couple times. Yeah, the, the, yeah Children Main has many. Uh, yeah, but like, I... No matter how good the narrative flex is, there I've always been. And again, it and this mm. is a this is a testament to the narrative flex of that moment. Mm. I will be I would be pulled out. And I'll be like, oh man, this is still one take. Mm. Oh shit, and I'm back in. But yeah. that happens a couple times, which is a changing of where my brain space is with the film. And it's point... coming from a of a, a, a like a viewer to being mm. uh, sutured in. I like that phrase a lot.
1: And, and my point of 1917. Is that I didn't have? I know I didn't have the, the that moment. You yeah, know? Like, I know. Like, and
0: I, it's so strange to me that, and I I do feel like this. Now yeah. I'm going to get really um judgy. Yeah. Um, I don't think even the people that are singing this film's praises, I, I haven't heard them talk about it in interviews or in yeah. reviews the way that I experienced it and why I, why I liked it. Yeah. I, there's there's there is a contingent, especially in the Academy yeah. and a couple of stuff. This movie has and I know you don't like this term, quite a bit of Oscar bait thrown around its boat. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it fits a lot of checkboxes that the Academy likes. Yeah. No. Um, and I don't think that really... Uh, the way this film is shown to me put me in the boots of a World War One soldier, and it just worked for me, and I understand that it didn't work for a lot of people. I don't know how... A film could better for my sensibilities and the way that I interact with characters on screen. Have done it. It did it so perfectly for me that I'm forgiving so many flaws, like actual flaws. I think this mm-hmm. movie has from a narrative perspective, from um, from uh, even like a time perspective, uh, a, a, or, or, or even a point. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't think that I think the narrative points are very weak. Mm-hmm. Um, but the but the visceral point. It's an experiential yeah, film. Whether
1: you experience that, it's
0: kind of long day's journey in tonight. Right. Okay, like. That scene, the fifty-nine minute long take, uh, that is an experience. That's an experience. Yeah. And this film,
1: you know what I loved, delivered it. You know what I loved about the fifty-nine minute long take in Long Day's Journey into Night is that what it's doing. The long take there has a different effect to what it has here, which is that the long take in Long Day's Journey into Night melds time and memory together to the point where we don't know what's real and what's it's not a dream. yeah what's real and what's not and what's memory and what moments are resonating in weird ways and so we're kind of drifting through this like sort of dream it feels state like a dream. yeah you know and and I was like the single take is kind of contributing to the fact that I don't know what's real and what's not or what is important and what's not anymore i'm kind of like lulled into this state and that's that's where i think that single take kind of works there even though that's a t- you know that's a feat of engineering yeah. unto itself as well um, in this case there's one moment that I think sort of the the single take veered into po, po- poetry, mm-hmm. and that was when uh, we, <laughs> apart from the, the the sort of the clear hard take, it, they should be selling this as, as there's like, there's actually two takes in this movie, and like, even though there are many invisible takes, there's like a point at which the screen cuts to black, and then we wake up again, and like, you know, and we don't know how much time has passed, yeah. because the conceit of this film is that this is real time, you know, but we don't know how long that sort of period is. I bet you sure if a, you did the math,
0: it doesn't make sense.
1: Because he he, he goes down uh, at dusk, and he wakes up, and it's night. And, and then, well, there's and, two
0: moments which as the explosion, and then there's going down. Like there's yeah, two and mu- moments and, where it and really.
1: Technically, goes. it must be uh, over many hours that he blacked out because yep. because uh, the next period he goes through dawn. Yep. Uh, and the, also,
0: yeah. side note: can we just talk about the lighting of that scene real quick? Well,
1: that's that to me is the poetry moment. Is is the lighting? Holy shit! Now that is Deacon's. At doing his deaconess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Deacons flex. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, that is the, you know, like, in um, one of my favorite Deacons movies, um, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, is that he is a master of figuring out light and shadow. Yeah. You know, like, that, that, that's what Deacons does. You know, like, if you look at the, what he won his Oscar <laughs> that's what for. That's Deacon do. Yeah, that's if you w- look at what he won his Oscar for, which is Blade Runner 2, 2049, it is the interplay of light and shadow. Yep. Um, there's a beautiful scene in uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine when they're walking down this sort of hallway uh, and and the shadows are changing outside and the and the shapes are changing and that's what he does in that scene and I and I was like this is beautiful this yeah. is you know like the fact that we're still in this one take here and the light and shadows are changing it becomes terrifying it sort of has that po- it's a hellscape it's a beautiful yeah. hellscape it, it has that sort of poetry to it that I think is really just devastatingly yeah. beautiful yeah um but other than that see and and the the thing is is that ultimately the film's final point is that this man had a reason to run. You know, like he, you know, he, he, he flips over his note and it says, Come back to me. You know, like that. And that's, that's, you know, he had a reason to stay alive. You know, he had a reason to keep going. And I, and I, and I find that note to be like, eh, you know, but, but the thing that, you know, it's the generic. Pitch, the pitch that I was like, kind of saying Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that I, I was like, Oh, the thing that I think I would be interested in seeing here is that you've built this like idea of this one single take. So you've like, traveled me through this space in a sort of continuum you've said that you know like unlike uh, long day's journey into night which is like time and reality are all kind of melding into each other you know the long take here is saying we've got a single space we are taking you through in real time this is you know like we want you to be experiencing this entire space through it Mm -hmm. the thing that i was like curious is like oh be interesting if you pulled up at this point and showed me that the point a and point b weren't that far away from each other and that that this horror escape that we had gone through was actually just over here to here and and uh, Oh like and
0: do a, like like an aerial?
1: Just do something to say that to say that you know we've been through this like 2-hour journey with him but in fact the 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 space between the where he began and where he ended wasn't actually physically that far it's just the it's the space of where he's changed. Was it supposed to be 6 miles? Something like that. And I just I was like oh that's if if the movie had kind of use the long take to extrapolate that idea but instead the movie uh, it ends on oh he had a kid yeah. and they had a baby what would
0: that have said though
1: i i think if for me that yeah. would have connected the idea that the long take uh, was doing in terms of the experience which is that i would have been like oh because in my head i was like oh he's traveled so far but in fact he's traveled not very far at I all. i would have
0: found that to be a bit more of a wink to the tech Really? Yeah. Mm. I, I, again, that that's a mm. and, and maybe it would have been done in a way that it wouldn't have done that right. for me. Just talking through it, though, right. that that would be sort of like a, almost like a. See, it's look at
1: how close it was. Like it'd be uh, a little bit. But but I but the but the point there is that I would have wanted to see the idea that he's gone through so much. Right. But essentially, he's gone through this thing where he's just traveled from here to here, and that's the sort of the horror of, of trench warfare is, you know, the thing that Kirsty was saying, yeah. which is that the man that you hate is literally just over that yeah. over that thing. And I, and and look, I'm not suggesting that I have the solution to that. I'm just saying that you know, as a that's filmmaker, that, been that that's the I I would have been like looking for the opportunity to figure out how can I take this technology and and wield it into something personal, or wield it into something that like you speaks to something to say about. You, You wanted the...
0: The tech, you wanted the technology to weave a little more into the narrative connectiveness rather than what I'm just sort of describing that worked for me and didn't work for you, which is the visceral.
1: I, and I, I can appreciate if this movie is experiential and if you feel that way, then that can be, you know, that's wonderful. Yeah. I think for me, I'm, you know, I'm generally, I never lost myself in this movie. Oh, you know, wow. I n- never for a moment lost myself in anything that was happening. I think there's, you know, there's, there is a number of beautiful moments in this film. Uh, I think, um, uh, you know, Sam Mendy. Sam Mendy's career, for one, has had sort of an interesting trajectory. Yeah. You know, like uh, famed theater director. I remember before he did American Beauty, he was he was famous for doing an adaptation of The Blue Room um, with Nicole Kidman. In uh, it might have come, might have come after him, but I conflate those two things in my head. American Beauty, first film out the gate, best picture, best director. Like you know, this guy is the heir apparent to Citizen uh, to to, yeah. to Orson, Orson Welles. Welles. And then the next few films he does, you know, kind of like Steven Soderbergh. You know, like don't really. Don't really uh, touch the touch the heights that he has. You know, Road to Perdition. Uh, I think uh, comes after that. Jarhead. Uh, he does that sort of wonderful film, Away with uh, Away with Me, with um, uh, John Krasinski away in the middle we go. of it. Away we go. Um, and then you know, and then suddenly his career starts to align oddly with Christopher Nolan. You know, like when he does his adaptation. You know, his he takes uh, James Bond, his version of James Bond, uh, Skyfall, kind of feels a little bit like The Dark Knight. But then Spectre. But then Spectre right? is kind of like The Dark. Dark Knight Rises it's like and what? then 1917 is kind of like Dunkirk and in terms of like what Dunkirk does as a flicks, which is like Dunkirk's flicks is like time is malleable and the way we perceive time is entirely you know like um, uh, only perceived by the people whom, whom are experiencing at that moment like 1917's inverse flicks is time is linear and I was like look I, I know there's an interesting article on Slash Film that connects these two filmmakers oh really what, yeah and I think it's you know they point out the fact that 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 mindy's career has sort of started to align with christopher nolan's in in interesting ways both british filmmakers um but but i you know look i like sam mindy's a lot sam mindy's knows how to make um interesting introspective moments between two characters work i didn't find much of that in this film i i found that this was more of a tech flex for me
0: I mean, I, I, uh, I, it's funny. I couldn't agree with/slash disagree with you based on my experience yeah, a yeah. bit more. It's, it's I, very I, strange. I, I
1: don't disagree with your experience.
0: I know, which it's, is yeah, no. It's and it, and it's it's. I'm. This is going to be an odd thing to say. I'm super glad that the movie didn't connect with you <laughs> because because if 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 we if we were both on the same page for this, I don't yeah. think we would have sort of gotten to a lot of the, the the discussion points that we did. I straight up. And I, I know I will probably be. I know in this room uh, will not be a consensus. I think this movie is a far more effective, experiential uh, event or moment than Dunkirk was. Okay.
1: Um, for me, um, uh, I wasn't in, as enamored with Dunkirk, but you can listen to Quentin Tarantino talking about how Dunkirk is his number three movie know, of the decade. I know on uh, the Ringer podcast, there's some
0: amazing stuff it does. It just did not. Yeah. I, I am I. I need to be poured into character, and mm. I need to feel like I am the in, in, involved or emotionally connected with the protagonist in some way. Yeah. And Dunkirk, none of that did yeah, in yeah. this did. And, and it's funny, and it's not the characters, not to give any, any bad uh, juice to the actors or, or the writers or anything like that. What we are presented narratively is cookie cutter. Mm. It's basic in 1917. Yeah. It's the, it's the technical that, that managed to elevate it for me into an experience that I am so glad that I saw in a theater. Mm-hmm. Like, we have good systems in mm-hmm. our houses. Yeah. I don't think even on our projectors at home I would have been as, like, needlepoint, pinpoint, like,
1: like in this. You know what's funny about this film? Because I do agree. It's a movie to see on a big screen. But after I watched it, <laughs> I was like... I could have watched that at home. Ah! <laughs> I was like, not not because not because I don't think the technology is wonderful, not because I don't think Roger Deakins is wonderful, uh, not because of that. I was just like, it, I was just so unenamored by this movie, well. and and left so sort of oddly cold by <laughs> by everything that had happened that I was like, oh, this is a movie. I could have seen it home. Wow, you know, like I could have, I happily watched it home.
0: Well, let's end this discussion uh, with our email. Yes, you
1: want to pull that up? Uh, I appreciate Baby Dread uh, having like gone to see the movie last night, and then I like he was like, "When are you guys recording?" And I was like, uh, "You're gonna have to get to th-
0: <laughs> real early Saturday. And you're gonna have
1: to write this right away." And he was like, "I'm, I'm off," and he goes, <laughs> he goes and I, I was, I'm, I'm. Always appreciative of that. If I if I if I come across on Twitter as like poking you a little bit, I'm very appreciative that you actually did this. Uh, so this is Baby Dread uh, who wrote, "I'm not really sure where to start." Before going to the movie, everything I'd heard about 1917 revolved around the cinematography. After having watched it, it seems to me like that the entire picture lives and dies on its cinematography, and I I think that is exactly for for both of us. Yep. For you, that's a positive. For me, that's yep. a negative. And I don't think yep. either of us are wrong on this. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. Uh, Baby Drake says, don't get me wrong. I think it's a finely crafted film with Roger Deakins at the helm. Uh, just, I'm going to stop here. And as a side note, I was like, it is interesting that I think Roger Deakins in this case uh, can be seen as much of an auteur in <laughs> yep. this film as Sam. Mendes. This is a partnership. No yeah, question. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, back into the email. Uh, with Roger Deakins at the helm, it's no wonder that it ended up looking as wonderful as it did. With that being said, I don't quite understand why this needed to, uh, needed to be a one shot film. There was more than a few moments that I feel would have benefited from some coverage or a cutaway. My understanding of one is is that they are typically used to ratchet up tension or establish geography. While watching this movie, I hardly ever had a good sense of where the characters were heading, and although I could see their surroundings, I hardly ever knew how they got there. The tension was there, but only at the times, uh, which is why my question is simply, why is this movie a winner? And what do you think, um, and do you think it would be as well regarded if it wasn't? With Birdman, I at least understood that the one-shot thing had to do with the nature of theater. Sure. Uh, I would
0: something I just realized that with you reading uh, Baby Dread's email. Also, thank you so much, Baby Dread, for making the time, going to see it, getting it in under the wire. You, you literally are the main characters in 1917, oh getting right. it to us, yeah. and now we will decide uh, if we we'll just we'll want have, to
1: fight what we'll just benedict come yeah, we'll, we'll be like okay benedict cool benedict just like
0: whatever cool <laughs> great um, no i think you know it's interesting you bring up like oh you could have benefited from a, a cutaway or some 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 context as to where the characters are there's actually uh, i might even go and say this is a slight narrative point in the yeah. in the film's uh, in feather in its hat the the character who dies is the one who knows the way he has the map and he's the ma- he's the cartographer of the group and that's why they pick him is cuz he's good with maps yeah the buddy mm. now has the map and has kind of only a real like people are kind of just pointing him in a direction.
1: Yeah, he just keeps he just has a forward momentum. To
0: and it. I think again going back to the visceral being put inside of this movie, how it affected me. Yeah, I had no idea where we were. I felt just like the character who had little to no idea where they were. And I think the one shot without seeing where they were or or knowing entirely ratcheted up the tension of what that character was feeling and how I experienced it, sort of uh, as a side effect. Um, I don't think this movie uh, would. <laughs> I mean, the the. I don't think this yeah, film, I mean, as the, done, would ever be effective at all. Not the, done in
1: this way. That's the point, you know. Like, I, I think, like if this was if this was a traditional covered film would we be talking about it at all no you know like i, I no. mean it could have beautiful sequences in it but the problem is is that the one takedness of it or the one take is the thing to talk about and my and and, and i and i don't disagree so, like i so what to what baby jared's point like uh you know i would have benefited from some coverage i actually I, I i don't i i actually liked the sort of like not knowing where i was and how did i get here and like how do i get out of there i i do wish that the narrative thread of like i don't know where to go from this point on was, was a, little, a little stronger was a little bit stronger because he just kind of stumbled. he 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 seems to stumble into the right place. Yeah. Into the point where he stumbles into the song you were singing in the minute. And, and I was like, soldiers can just walk up to, like a random soldier who may be the enemy of something. Because like all of his battalion is all stripped away. Well,
0: technically he when he gets there, uh they're on the side from what I understand. He's coming from behind their lines. I guess so.
1: But like nobody like looks at him or anything. I was like, oh, is that okay, I guess so. Um but so, so to to me, you know, like I, I I didn't need additional cutaways. I think the film is 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 a feat of engineering marvel, yeah. like it is, and 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 directorially, you know, like like the the camera is always pointed in the right direction. Mm-hmm. It always gives me, you know, the information is being conveyed to me as well. There's no uh, in everything I said. I don't want to convey the sense that uh, there's two things I don't want to convey the sense of. One is that um that uh that there's any lack of film- filmmaking innovation here. There's like a full comprehension of how to use this technology to tell story. My thing is I I didn't think the story was particularly well uh, particularly interesting. And 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 I don't think the technology actually connected to that story beyond a sort of like good way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um and the same thing is you know like uh, you know we probably be maybe sounding this way but it's like we don't want to dismiss the 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 sacrifice people made in this war as being frivolous, you know, like people. His story of like wanting to come back home is a is 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 a tried and true story. We are saying cookie. I'm saying things like, like cookie
0: cutter and like basic and that sort of thing because these are the stories of war we have been told yeah. consistently as as uh, I guess on the European side of a this tale as old as time, right? Like <laughs> it's it's just very we. It's well worn territory.
1: And and you know like films like I mentioned, that I mentioned already, like the Thin Red Line has this narrative in it. Um, and, and, but I, but I think what I'm saying is is we have to make the distinction between what war truly is and what films about war are. And, and, and to me, the thing here is that this film hasn't got a lot to say, in my opinion, about war. It doesn't have
0: an its narrative does not have a lot to say about war. I'm still going to go, and I, and and I, I will posit this question sort of to end off my thoughts is if this film had a better narrative, a stronger narrative, a more through line, really thoughtful thing about the the nature of war, or the nature of being a soldier, or why we do things the way we do as humans or as as countries or whatever, I actually think it would have connected with me less. Huh. It's <laughs> <we, but, laughs> an in, odd thing in, to say. I know, but in the way in the way that this is, if this was shot exactly the same, but the narrative had a. Crazy, stronger through point. There'd be two really different parts of my brain working
1: against each other. And and what I'm suggesting there is that what I would have loved to have seen is the the technology connecting to that other part of your brain in a way that was meaningful.
0: But I, that would and again, I just maybe I think the percentage of that happening without it being like like that's slapping what me Children in the of face. Men does.
1: You it know, doesn't for me though. Yeah, really.
0: It, 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 I already described it. Like it, again, but that, no shade to Children <laughs> of Men. My, my point is this. This film doesn't have a lot to say narratively about war. What this film did for me was make me feel the closest to a person that is on the ground level of this particular conflict. And I've never experienced something like that before. No war movie that has shown me World War 1 or really any real sort of real life war has ever done that for me and they, So so this is as far as as you're saying the most effective mm. it, it, from a visceral standpoint uh, mm. emotionally connective and resonant to a, a single experience of a character war film for me no question now again mm. is it now and i find that experience yeah. interesting is what the film is narratively saying interesting uh, like just from the story yeah. no because we've heard that story told in in different ways to support that story like like putting that story to the forefront better i just it, it, I, it affected I, you. I can't. I cannot describe. Yeah. The, the again. The, the best way I'll put it. Multiple times. Yeah. I was crouched down in my seat. And yeah. I don't do that. I'm not a person that moves around based on a thing. I don't I you know, even playing games I don't move the control. Like I'm just I'm I'm in an experience and I enjoy it and my body does not normally react other than like a jump scare or something. This had me tense and I was ducking consistently. Why the fuck was I doing that? Right. Like I was in it. Right. And I think that the 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 perfect combination of very basic story and incredible technical acumen to showcase a visceral experience really did work for me.
1: And um, I don't I don't don't in any way want to dismiss your um, appreciation of it, it, it that I, I think the way you've uh, articulated that is 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 exactly how um you you know like is exactly how you feel about it and 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 I I had the opposite reaction. Yeah. But, but my question to you to sort of only to probe that oh, response. Let's probe. Let's get some probes. <laughs> to to probe, uh, to, to annually probe that response. I don't want, Okay. <laughs> is, do, because the way you've articulated it is this is the closest you've ever felt to a character in a war film. To, uh,
0: this is the closest I've ever felt to experiencing war. Let's do that. Saving Private Ryan.
1: Nope.
0: Children of Men children of men it, it gets you in the nitty-gritty of a conflict but i never felt as though i was experiencing exactly what daniel craig was experiencing
1: okay if that's okay the then that's totally fine I, yeah. I i i just think those two films for example to me kind of f- make me think about the nature of of war and i think are technically also very good and i and i think i think 1917 is very technically astute you know yep. like don't don't get me wrong about that but i just didn't i you know didn't I uh, think the story in Saving Private Ryan and Children of Men is better I well, the, the thing about Saving Private Ryan for example is that Saving Private Ryan has a similar sort of arc which is that it's about all these men have to go set sa- you know like pass this message this man on a mission kind of story yeah. but they also discuss the nature of that mission several yeah, times they, during that the f- narrative
0: <laughs> is more interesting
1: and they have to like they have to uh, the the characters have to kind of like negotiate what is the meaning of this? We are
0: meeting interesting characters in Saving Private Ryan that make us the audience through their interactions, mm-hmm. question the activities that the characters are doing, and the war that is surrounding them. Yeah, that is not what this film is doing. Yeah, and it, I don't even think it tries. Yeah, uh, this film is dropping you in some
1: fucking boots yeah. and saying go. Yeah, and I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> I mean, I you know, like I, I, I bring it back to. Um, Mad Max: Fury Road, which is a film <laughs> that is experiential, you know, like that is a film that is like, yeah. you know, I'm viscerally experiencing this. But it's also a film which has like something to say about everything that's happening sure. in front of it. You know, do like, I
0: think Mad Max: Fury Road is a better film than 1917? <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, uh, but
1: no, no, <laughs> no, no. and, and uh, that, that's my only point about it. I 100, you know, like uh, uh, believe, you know, agree with your take on it and like how it made you feel. It's certainly something that I've heard the responses of. Uh, I, I have my reason, you know, which I think I've articulated yeah, they why. Make sense. Why this didn't work for me, and I and I'm I'm not drinking the Kool Aid on this film. Uh, I really am not. And I and took it, a bath in it. I mm.
0: I fell into the river of the film that was made purely of this Kool Aid. By the way, it's not dirt. It's um it's it's gunpowder, gunpowder and milk Kool Aid. <laughs> um yeah no yeah I drank the milk. Let's just go with that. You drank the milk. I drank this. the milk. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. This has been the only podcast about the film 1917. Shahir, when when you are not going back. To see the Deacons, where can folks
1: find you? Oh man, seeing the D, <laughs> getting <laughs> getting my daily dose of the D. Yeah. Uh, everyone should watch The Assassination of Jesse James, by the way. Yeah. Everybody should watch that movie a million times over. Pl- should be just, watching that. Th- you should just have that pl- <laughs> as your screensaver, by the way. Where can folks find you? <laughs> you can find me building out Deacon screensavers uh, at my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matthew Kroll, Ooh. when you are uh, in the trenches with your fellow man, uh, sticking your fingers inside the bodies of other corpses... Where can people
0: find you? You can find me totally not dying of various wartime diseases at M A T T H E W K R O L dot com for my life and works. Also, skillet tour the number four PREZ on Instagram or PSN or Emperor MSK on Twitter. You can also email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com like all of our wonderful listeners did this week. Also, we'll be getting again to the Uncut Gems ones a, a couple episodes later. So, those your emails will be coming. Please send more. Tell friends about this podcast. Also, write in anybody. I've heard a lot look anybody can write in. I've heard a lot of people that this movie did not connect with. Yeah. Like I, and I that's why I kind of feel like I am in the minority of this even
1: I don't think you are. I really don't think
0: you are. But I, in the way that I've described it, if anyone is is like that is my experience, that is I would just like to be like I just want some hands ra- hands raised. Mm-hmm. I just want to know that I'm not alone in this.
1: Um, also, uh, we will be having our Oscar episode coming up shortly, which means we will have to. It, it sounds like we're begrudgingly reviewing Ford versus Ferrari, but Ford versus Ferrari is from the director of one of my favorite films of 2018, I believe, uh, which was uh, James Mangold and Logan. Yeah, uh, a director who I really really like and who I do fully have uh, 100% faith in. So uh, I'm I, I just I'm not a person. I'm not a car person. I'm not a car person. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I I don't I. I Look, this is why I think that'll get interesting.
1: what, what if? if it's our
0: favorite movie or what no? if
1: it's our favorite movie <laughs> what if we go like
0: then fuck are, Parasite then we are officially dads in the United States uh, you, <laughs> I, mean, I, I am. you are yeah. uh, but yeah. I'll I'll have to ha- I'll instantly have a child if
1: you have seen Ford vs. Ferrari and think uh, and have an opinion about it please email us on at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com and
0: with that we'll go real fast next week
1: it, side note side note oh my god please check out
0: the Wiz Khalifa music video for the Sonic the Hedgehog movie it is an actual delight and uh, I, am, <laughs> I have not seen that I am I am, I am it, it's just so so earnest and it's like of course it's like a bullshit tie-in to a movie from a hip-hop artist but like you you can tell that Wiz Khalifa and all the collaborators like actually have a love for Sega like, or for, Sonic the Hedgehog and, <laughs> and, and like playing seg- like it's just it's it's actually quite nice in this in, in a world where that was built by a pure marketing shill team yeah it, you feel a little bit of earnestness and it got me more excited for the Sonic the Hedgehog movie <laughs> I, I don't know anyway go real fast forward me Ferrari next week talk to you later zoom
1: I'm just going over Jordan I'm just going